1: we uh, we m- may not be alone.
0: This is the Garden
1: of Doom. Welcome, everyone, into Garden of Doom. And this week we have a very special guest, again, by courtesy of Philip Mantle from Flying Disc Press, who we are so appreciative to, to send us sort of almost like a never-ending cavalcade of authors who have uh, written books, and, and not just the, the most recent book, but most of them have written multiple books of prolific writers i'm stealing that term from cliff dunning who i listened to this morning who uh used it so i'm stealing it thank you cliff um i don't think he listens to the show but he's been on he's been on episode 50 feature cliff dunning anyway our guest is mark ali He's coming to us from cheshire england so thank you very much how are you today mark
2: Uh, very well very well we've actually we're suffering a day of english summer so the temperatures are quite high over here, but uh, it'll only last for a day because it's
1: England. That, that's that's my understanding of England. So that's good. That's uh, yeah, that, that's even better. Like once I had a guest that was on England who was complaining about the sunshine. I'm like, I didn't know you got that there. So. <laughs> oh dear. So she corrected me. Uh, yeah.
2: Once a year we get it, and today's
1: the day. Oh, and here you are inside podcasting with me. But uh, okay, but it, where you are, I guess it's it's uh, heading towards evening time anyhow. Um, for those who don't know, I'm on the east coast of the United States. I, I'm sure most people who listen know that already. Anyway, about Mark, he is a writer, a researcher, a producer. He's also a musician. He, he produces uh, uh, the broadcast shows. He lectures at a university. Um, he's an archaeologist. He heads an archaeology unit. I mean, I'm not sure what he doesn't do. Um, but today we're going to talk about his latest book and then whatever else he wants to talk about. And it is called The Crystal Skulls and Human... What was the last word?
2: It's The Skulls and Human Heads.
1: And Human Heads. There you go. There so, go. So for most of us out there, and I probably fall a little bit into the most of us, I'm probably most of us plus just because of this show, um, we thought we know The Crystal Skulls from an Indiana Jones movie. Uh, maybe for those of you who are old farts like me, you thought that the, the stacks Hall of Skulls or Library of Skulls was the Crystal Skulls. And while it was probably a play on it, 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 it really wasn't. Um, here's my primitive understanding of the Crystal Skulls and why they're so interesting. And this is going to be so simplified and you're going to correct and expand upon that for the next you know hour or however long we go. Um, but my understanding of the Crystal Skulls is that they are... Almost perfect representations of human skulls made out of material, uh, but they it's it's dated to an age where, based on the material that they're made out of, and based on our understanding of human technologies at the time, they should not have been able to may be made out of that material with anywhere near that precision, which leads a few questions. One is, I guess, is the dating wrong? B, are we wrong about the the capabilities of human technology? C, was there other technology for do they come from someplace else uh, extraterrestrial intra-terrestrial the, the old hollow earth another dimension what did were they were they visited upon us by some gods or whatever it is and I'm sure that these are not novel questions to the author of a book entitled the crystal skulls and human skulls so without further ado mark please correct anything if I made giant mistakes there tell us about the history of the crystal skulls and lead on.
2: Now, in in essence, you've nailed it. In essence, that is the broad understanding of what the whole Crystal Skulls mystery is. And also, in doing that, you've also nailed Steven Spielberg's scriptwriters in producing Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. That's where they got their material from. Um, From my point of view as an archaeologist, I came across Crystal Skulls because a friend of mine uh, who is a lodge master in uh, Freemasonic Freemasonic Lodge handed me a crystal skull that in turn had been handed to him by the original owner who uh, was gifted it from uh, a Mayan village um, around about the time the end of the sec- Second World War um, he'd been gifted this skull as a thank you because uh, believe it or not Aztecs and Mayans don't really get on and they didn't particularly value this thing, it was just a nice shiny object that they could give to this chap as a thank you Anyway, this chap was getting too old, so he handed it to his lodge master. His lodge master, in turn, now he's getting too old. He handed it to me because I'm an archaeologist, mm-hmm. which immediately presents me with issues like the ones that you just outlined. You know, how old is this thing? Is this thing real? How was it made? Uh, you know, and, and if I'm going to say, you know, a genuine crystal skull, what, what does that mean? What, what is a real crystal skull? So I set out to try and find that out as, as part of the writing the book process. And what I came up with was a, was a series of things which are, are definitions. First of all, I think it has to be life-size or at least the size of the child. You know, when you start going down into these tiny little skulls, which there are thousands of, I, I don't necessarily think, unless they, you can prove where they came from, I don't think they really qualify as a as a proper crystal skull. So it's got to be life-size. As you say, the worksmanship has got to be meticulous. You know, if these things are being banged out By the thousand, and they're using machines to do it, they tend to leave scratches, machine marks, and all those sort of things all over the surface of the skulls. And there's a couple of skulls that don't have those kind of marks. The most famous is the Mitchell Hedges skull, the skull of doom, which is the one you referred to that's anatomically perfect. It's got a separated jaw, it's life-sized. It's been looked at under an electron microscope. There are no scratches, no tool marks on it. It's a complete mystery. And I actually think it came from where they said it came from, which was Anna um, Mitchell Hedges' stepdaughter uh, found it on her 14th birthday under an altar in the ruins of uh, an Aztec temple in Belize which i think is where it came from and you know i'm fairly su- certain that's a real one so i think that's real i think the one i've got's real there's one in a ballpark in coba which is still there it's set in the floor that's clearly real it's and where fairly recent coba coba it's where? on the yucatan peninsula it's uh the city of coba um, and it's in the floor of the ballpark, it's, it's actually attached so it's not like you can do uh-huh. anything with it and it's life-size and it's white quartz so you know it, it is what it is um, and then fairly recently outside Mexico City they excavated a grave that had another one in um, and that one now is archaeologically secure we know where it came from or when it was buried uh, but they're not going to release too much information on that because they're actually closing down now very much in South America on the whole issue of crystal schools because they're losing more of them than they can actually hold on to. You know, they're getting manufactured, they're getting grave robbed, you know, they're they're going all over the place, these things, and and they're getting very touchy about that. So they're not saying too much about them. So I personally, in the world I know of about four, that I with confidence could say are absolutely the real deal. Um, And then there's lots of others, you know, in museums in Paris, in London, there's lots of others knocking around most of them only go back a couple of hundred years. They don't go back any significant time.
1: You mean their discovery?
2: uh, Schools, yeah, these crystal schools, they don't go back, most of them don't go back any significant time period. Although I was introduced to one recently that looks like it's about 500 years old and it's made out of obsidian, which is a type of green volcanic glass. So I suppose that would take the total up to about five. So, So maybe in the 1970s when they said there's about a dozen of them, maybe that's a a fairly, you know, accurate estimate of how many are out there. Um, there you go. Yeah. That's that's what what they are.
1: So these are, uh, if I'm correct, these are mostly from sort of south of the Rio Grande, sort of Mexico th- down through South America, and that's where the crystal skulls uh, originated from, basically ex- exclusively.
2: Um, almost certainly, that's that's where the vast majority of the skulls or the material that they're made of. Are coming from. I'm not aware of any crystal, i.e., you know, quartz, crystal, silica, those type of skulls. I'm not aware of them coming from anywhere else. It does seem to be a uniquely South American thing. Um, I've not even found any in, in North America, though I'm sure some of the listeners might know of some that are up that way. Um, but then you've got this issue of age and provenance, where they come from, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in terms of the connection to aliens, well, I think you might have to leave that
1: one with Spielberg. <laughs> okay, that, 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 that's fine. Uh, we're we're okay to leave this at, at Earth base. That's that's uh, okay. Perfectly okay, all right. I mean, wherever take, you, hey, you're the expert, so you're this is guest led. I you know I just threw it out there. Um, so the material that these are made of, I mean, obviously they're called crystal skulls, but I believe it is yeah. a it's it's technically quartz. Is is crystal quartz always?
2: Yes, nearly always. There's a, a subtitle um, to the book. It's called The Mystical History of Glass and the End of the World, uh, which it looks at silica. The mystical history of glass is is just that. It's glass. And for some reason, they seem to have chosen this quartz silica to make the crystal skulls in. Um, and I was very puzzled by that. I wondered why on earth they have chosen that material. So as you go through the book, there are some little sort of Um, eye-popping moments where the science and the physical material sort of line up. Um, For example, I'll give you an example. Uh, When humans are developing the womb, if there's a deficiency of silica, then the brain and the skull fails to develop. So somebody in the past somewhere made some kind of similar connection to that and thought, oh, okay, well, we'll make skulls out of silica because obviously there's some kind of natural connection. There's a human nature connection there. Um, also, the entire world is silica. I, I've said this a few times now. Where we are a carbon-based life form living in a silicon-based world, you know, it's everywhere. It's sand. It's glass. It's in silicon chips. It's in bath sealant. You know, you name it. There's, it's absolutely everywhere. The whole world is full of silica. Um, when they came to do a model, use a model for the Earth's core, they tried swapping out different substances. They tried the iron. Core and that doesn't work, it just goes spinning off into the cosmos and with no gravity and no nothing, it just doesn't work. When they tried quartz, a liquid quartz core, uh, amethyst to be specific. Everything works. It solves a thing called Olsen's Paradox. It makes everything work because quartz is electrical. As you know, it powers wristwatches. If you yeah. if you crush it, it produces electrical fields on curling photography. You know, it's got all these qualities. Well, it's integral to the Earth's magnetic field. It's integral to, the, to gravity. It's integral to the electricity and the electrical fields on Earth. You know, and it, we are basically a gigantic quartz ball Flying through space, that's what we are. So, when you look at it in those terms, you know, wow, what a material to pick, you know, to depict a human head And the ancients had this thing where the earth itself was alive, it was a living thing, and they used the green man, the face in the leaves, to represent that life force, which in itself is a head. So, yeah. you know, universally, right across planet earth, they're using the head to represent the life force and, and the, the energies, if you like, um, on earth. Uh, Tesla came out with a great quote he he said something about um, about quartz crystals being uh, alive, he said all these crystals are alive, they're living and finally having done this book I understand what he means, he doesn't mean that they grow little legs and run round he means they've got the, all the essential ingredients if you like for life including those ingredients that are invisible because they're electrical, they're magnetic they reflect light, you know they do all these different things so somewhat, somehow he knew that and presumably somebody in the past also knew that. So I think that's the real mystical, like the hidden, if you like, side to these crystal skulls.
1: Um, yeah, I have to... I want to I break in here for a second just because right. when I first right. when I first started doing the show, I mean, I just I just did it because, you know, I was like, Hey, everywhere you know you 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 go or go there's there's a there's a version of Bigfoot or there's a version of yep. a vampire or there's a version of yep. sort of like an angel a demon or something that came to Earth and populated with man and let, let's look into that and you know and and this will be fun you know and and then the, the more I learned about what what ancient people knew but also I was parallel uh, tracking science it, it, it's it's almost like what everyone what all the woo-woos and the mystics were saying all the time that we are stardust that the ancients had knew more than we did it's all it, it, it's all true and and I doubt it's accidental but it's all true I mean just I mean, if you go onto any science site over the last two or three days, you're going to hear about how the James Webb Telescope has seen further than anywhere ever before, which of course what it's supposed to do, and and it has found somehow, I don't know how they detected. it, I guess it's through readings or what have you, but they have detected in the furthest reaches of the universe that there is the building blocks of life, of RNA in, in there, and so that's that's exactly what you're you're saying so for everyone who's hearing this go oh woo-woo quartz and living off wrong i mean you you you're just wrong when when they when crosby stills and nash saying we are stardust actually i don't even think they wrote the song i think someone else wrote it first uh they 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 were exactly right and they were just copying things that people knew thousands of years ago so there's that the other thing is one of my earliest recollections of silica or silicone okay the first one that i can recall is an episode of Fantasy Island where a scientist wanted to go to Fantasy Island and say, "What if there was a life form that wasn't carbon-based but was silicon-based?" I'm like, "Whoa!" Of course, I'm like nine, so everything's whoa. Uh, and you know what he found was, you know, of course, terrifying. But that's always stuck with me. And you just, you just, you just trigger that response to fight or flight thing. And then the more recent one was when Fiji water came out. There was a big controversy that they said, "Look at the ingredients." And the first ingredient in Fiji water wasn't water, but was silica.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty terrifying. We really don't need that quantity of silicates to survive. dearie me. Uh, yeah. Um, there, there is a there interesting twist, actually. There's something scientific I can throw in here as well that just sure. came to me then. When you were mentioning scientific stuff. Um, back in the 1970s, there was this story where they said, oh, yeah, we're going to bring all these... You know, ancient schools together, they're all going to get together and there'll be some kind of, you know, uh, mankind changing information exchange that's going to happen between them. You know, so you kind of had these visions of all of them lighting up and communicating and some vast revelation coming out. And of course, everybody that was outside the mind, body, spirit community was just poking fun. You know, they were taking the mickey out of it. Lo and behold, in 2013, over here in the UK, they've discovered they can write into glass discs like CDs in 5D using lasers. So now we've actually got it for real. They can put pretty much the entire of mankind's knowledge and information into just a couple of these discs. And they reckon that they'll last for 35 million years because they are silicon, they're glass. They can write in them now. So in actual fact, the science has caught up with the legendary side of it. The only thing now is, of course, we don't have any way of reading whatever it is that's written in the crystals. That was my question.
1: Has anyone tried to read it? uh, Well, Well, there you are.
2: Yeah, that's that's the obvious next step, and, and, and nobody actually has achieved that yet. If we knew what they used to put the information in, then we could get something to get the information out. But the principle of doing it, the actual idea, the concept, is actually real and it works and it's functioning they're doing it now so like like you say you know it takes science a bit of time to catch up with these legends sometimes you know um
1: how how old how old are the the crystal skulls and i I realize since now there's thousands of them how old are are the oldest
2: right if you start to go backwards i mean i'm not decrying the ones that are in museums Mm -hmm. but they have had a look at all of those and they appear to have essentially Victorian tool marks on them. So they're no more than a couple of hundred years. If you start looking at the ones that I'm using as a definition of ones that are real, they tend to be either round about the Columbus Conquistador period. So that's about 500, 600 years or earlier. So, excuse me, presumably the one in Cobra, presumably that one is older because that ballpark probably is 800 or 900 years. So they may go back as far as a thousand years that we know of. Um, It's just, it's a lack of data, really, lack of information. It's one of those things where, you know, there are thousands of them because people have made thousands of them now. They're all over the place. They've turned into a legend. But trying to get hold of any actual real information about them, trying to find out where they originate, you know, and getting some records for them and trying to push it back far enough to make sense out of it, you're down to single figures. You know, there's just the odd little bit of information here and there. Um, somebody's got hold of those things and just boom, you know, they've exploded and they're all over the place. Uh, so I would say 800 to 1,000 years we've got absolute confirmation. Of course, that's where the human heads part of it creeps in because when you get past that point most of the depictions are not necessarily in uh, crystal, but there are a lot of them. You know, there are a lot of skulls, a lot of carvings of skulls, monuments with skulls on, and then, of course, the further back you go, you've got remains that are organic, which go back to about forty thousand B.C., and then you've got the fossil remains then that start to come in, and some of the oldest skulls that are humanoid are in the sort of 300, 400, 500,000 B.C., bracket so when you go off in that direction that suddenly starts to become a lot more profitable there's more information there um so actually the crystal schools is only one chapter i think there's seven chapters in the book and only one chapter covers
1: that particular uh topic oh well i think then this is a perfectly good time to for me to shut up and let and let let you start with what your premise of the you know or your information on the crystal skulls were and then just take us into into it obviously you don't get too much away because you want people to buy the book obviously we, we, we would like yeah. to help further that um, uh, but yeah they, um, you know sort of like the 10,000 foot view.
2: Okay well round, rounding up the crystal skulls thing then obviously you've got the skulls but inside the confines of the book I look at other things I look at those other aspects of what quartz can do what it is how it affects the things around it how we live and you know work and exist coexist with quartz. So that chapter is quite significant. And so like I say, it has quite a few sort of, you know, the light bulb goes on and you have a new moment kind of thing um, and all the data's in there to build up to it. So, um, you know, it's science, a lot of that science. When it comes to the human skull, what I was concerned about there, I started writing the book when we went under lockdown. So we had two years plus of you know, these little microbes running around threatening to wipe the entire humanity out. So I was sat there as an archaeologist and I was thinking, has this ever happened before? You know, is it ever going to happen again? Uh, you know, how did races of people deal with it in the past? But in the back of my mind, I was thinking that they've done DNA tests on a lot of different organic remains now. And the uh, scientists are calling the world of the past something more like a Lord of the Rings type world. So you have little people, you had Homo floriensis, the tiny people, going all the way up to, you know, biblical giants of biblical proportions, which is actually what you would expect. You know, you get tiny cats, you get big cats, you get tiny cows, you get big cows, you know, you get tiny humans, you get big humans. You mm-hmm. expect to see that. What is really unusual, though, is that we don't see that. The reason we don't see that is that all the other species, the majority of the other species, have become extinct. They've died out. So the early chapters of the book are dealing with this idea that, you know, not every branch of humanity has existed forever, nor is, are we necessarily eternal? You know, we've lost a lot of different types of people. Um, And that became an adventure in its own right. That was an absolutely amazing adventure because then you start to think, okay, what's missing? What were these people like? What could they do? you know, what did they contribute to the human race? Uh, and more to the point, what did we lose, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I can give you a wonderful example of that, sure. fantastic example. Um, I was reading an Eric von Däniken book in the 1970s that my dad had years and years ago, and there's one of these enormous Paracas skulls, you know, these huge South American heads that are three or four times the capacity of a normal head.
1: Right, the elongated uh, and, skulls for anybody who yeah, doesn't
2: know. Uh, these, these big, long things. Uh, There's some argument as to whether they're done by humans on purpose, there's some argument as to whether they're genetic and they're natural. The reality is both, because the natural species have been identified through DNA now, and there are significant differences with them, so they really existed as a race, you know, they were a distinct human race, and then obviously other human races have then tried to copy that. The reason being, and this, this was the crux of the matter, imagine if one of them is is accidentally born with the kind of IQ that Einstein had. Well, Einstein only had one third of the brain and the operating space of that brain that one of these guys had. So then you've got this guy sat there, and he's equivalent to three Einsteins. Now, what I was saying is you get ten of those guys sat in a room, and somebody comes walking in and says, uh, I've got a bit of a problem for you guys. How do I build a pyramid? Well, you know, they just pull out a piece of paper and get a pen and they just, you know, blah, blah, blah. Three minutes later, 10 of those people that have got three times the capacity of Einstein go, well, there's your mathematics. That's how you do it. You know, it really is that simple. Uh, Goodness, only knows what they came up with. You know, levers, uh, you know, uh, hydraulics, you know, sound levitation, you name it. But those guys... The intelligence level, you're talking supercomputer, human supercomputers. So when you come to something like Baalbek, where there's a 300-ton stone block halfway up a wall, I'm sat there thinking, do you know what, I bet they did that for a joke. Because at the end of the day, they could do it, and they must have known that the world was devolving. And sooner or later, we'd get to a point where we'd be looking at 300 ton block going, I really have no idea how that got up there, you know, it must have been aliens or they hold it up with woolly mammoths or you know, you name it and (laughs) and that's that's what we're dealing with here so a lot of these things that we find difficult to explain like, you know, how the hell do you build a pyramid, you know and get it within 0.3 degrees of true north, you know, how the hell do you do that and do it in 4,000 or 6,000 or 8,000 or 10,000 BC, how do you do it? Well, it's dead simple, what's missing and the thing that's missing are these people these people with these capacities you know these capabilities Um, you know you've got copper mines over here where the the tunnels are only big enough for children well they're big enough for Homo floriensis they were only 3 foot 6 when they were fully grown you know how did Noah build the ark you know for example well he just got the local giant to a 35 foot tall to bring in the timber pick them up and bring them in you know when you start putting these things in like that you start to think hang on a minute it's just not quite as amazing as we thought it was, we don't need aliens. We don't. There's no gap to try and plug, you know.
1: And Noah um, might have been you know, half giant himself, so maybe they had to listen to him. Or,
2: uh, well, again, who 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 was ruling who? Uh, who was more intelligent than who? How did the planet operate back then? You know, how did these people, the Because, for example, we know that when the were dying out, they interbred with us, Homo mm-hmm. sapiens sapiens. So we know that that happened. So that was there. Um, method of survival, if you like. Even before they the were other. dying
1: out. Uh, they, they, they probably didn't figure it out until the end that they were dying out, but it was uh, tens yeah. of thousands of years. Yeah, all, all the
2: tribal limitations or whatever that were keeping them apart just disappeared because they realized it was, you know, down to survival. I mean, the poor guys, the Paracas, for example, they must have known they were dying out because they panicked and they started sacrificing to the gods and burning the temples down and all this, that and the other. But it was exactly at the same time as the Spanish had turned up and introduced smallpox, measles, flu, you know. So these super intelligent guys were just thinking, well, you know, we know how the world works and we're not going to get through this. We ain't going to survive so they tried all the things that were to hand at the time and then they just died out anyway well, that's then, how that appears
1: Well, there's usually i mean they, nature does try to strike some sign of uh, some type of balance and so if they were yeah. super smart they probably sacrificed something whether that was physical strength or an immune system who knows
2: yeah we, we, we just don't know it's uh, the the nasca thing is very young in its uh, in its science uh, it's still in its infancy we're not sure where that that road is going to take us but like in um, in Russia and Czechoslovakia and places like that the Denisovans they've come up now as a distinct race DNA race with a couple of other races I think it's uh, East 1 and East Asia 2 I think it's, there's there's other races coming up now that have been around but aren't around anymore they must have found other ways of trying to survive as well so their dna will roll on. um i mean it's it's a shame it's really sort of it's beggared up the whole evolutionary thing you know that that tree kind of went up in flames and burned down when we started looking at dna oh and it's, um,
1: it's still it, burning down i mean the, yeah, no one ever should have built a tree because all we have are branches and I mean, yeah. you know, e- even yeah. even the out of Africa thing is, is not thing theory is, is has yeah. gone from accepted fact to back to theory, and maybe there were two migrations, and now they found us a, oh, wow. a human face in Spain, and they found something in Italy, and I mean, yeah. you know, you know, and, and yeah. we're not going to. It's probably going to be another two hundred years before we, uh, you know, figure it out, and it probably will end up being a spider web, you know that.
2: Well, I don't know. I said it in the book. I said, you know, we, we just don't have a fossil for that. Yeah. You know, it, it, if there's a gap, you know, we've got pockets. Yeah, there's loads of really nice pockets of ancient people here, there, and everywhere. But the the bits in between, we just we don't have a fossil for that. It doesn't exist. We haven't got any data or any knowledge or anything for that. Um, and I must admit, ticking away in the back of my mind all the time, even when I was writing the book, I was thinking, I'm not happy with the time scales. You know, the time scales that they use. These, you know. 300,000 years, 600,000 years, you know, and then they're talking about rocks that run to millions of years and fossils that run to, you know, you, you look at the timescales and you think this just for some reason just sets the alarm bells ringing, doesn't sit right. In the book, I use the traditional timescales, but I do make a point at the beginning of saying that, you know, a lot of species that we assume were distinct actually overlapped you know, um, for example, if they'd have wanted to use woolly mammoths to build the pyramids, they could have done, because they were still alive. They hadn't gone extinct in 10,000 BC. You know, they were still wandering around in Alaska. So uh, things overlap. It's it's not nice and convenient and boxed. You know, it's it's just a mess. It's a complete mess. We have no idea. You know, when the last of anything disappeared, um, because we might not have a fossil for that. You know, it's back to that again. You know, right. maybe yeah. the last place you saw to die triggered off the Legends of Dragons, you know, because dinosaurs and men might have overlapped, you know, why not? There's plenty of circumstantial evidence. You mentioned Bigfoot earlier on, you know. Is Bigfoot another human species that survived at the end of the last ice age? Possibly. Right. Maybe they're clever enough to realise that we're destructive, so they're staying the hell away. Yeah. I would.
1: Who was <laughs> Enki doing Gilgamesh? I mean, it sort of sort yeah. seems like a Bigfoot to me, but... Uh... You know, anyway, anyway yeah. uh, yeah, I, so much, there was so much there and I, so was, okay. Just, I can
0: see that. Yeah. Well,
1: I, I want to go back to the, the crystal skulls and we don't know how to read them. I mean, I assume that people are trying yeah. to, they've tried lasers and have they tried like resonance? I mean, uh, like what, what? what what studies are ongoing or who's looking into trying to figure out how to read the data there because maybe you don't find the fossil maybe maybe that's the library
2: i very strongly suspect that there are scientists around the globe that are firing things at quartz even as we speak you know i i am absolutely convinced that, that we cannot be the only two human beings on the planet to ask that obvious question. you know. So I am confident that they are doing things with it. I am yet to actually meet somebody that has met with any success. You know, science is a funny kind of thing because uh, they tend to only tell you when they get something, you know, when mm-hmm. they succeed. They're not going to tell you that they failed to get anything out of crystal for, you know, 2,000 attempts.
1: Well, there's no grand money in that.
2: If they shot it once with, you know, a laser and got a result back, I'm pretty sure you'd find out sooner or later because they'd tell you straight away. Um, so at the moment, I'm kind of going with the idea that, well, I've, I've raised the question. Obviously, I've raised it in the book and it's a very new book and it's based on new information and new data, which people need to dash out and buy, obviously. Whoa, i got an advert in there. Uh, yeah, you, you <laughs> so, promote,
1: um, this is a
2: free promotion yeah. zone. I, I I say I actually say it in the book. I say that what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get people to think outside the box and to look at these things and go, well, hang on a minute, there is science here, there is fact here, so let's start to join the dots and ask these awkward questions and go and try and find an answer for them. You know, uh, it's even Darwin's Origins of Species. I mean, he regretted ever writing the book and he said a lot of what he put in there was just theory and he, he was aghast at what people did with it. But the point is. He raised important questions, you know? Yeah, maybe people went off and got the wrong end, end of the stick, but he raised important questions. Uh, I met Eric von Daniken, actually, uh, two weeks ago um, at a, a conference, and I uh, have total respect for him, because as I was growing up as an archaeologist, his book, The Chariots of the Gods, mm-hmm. had just come out. Now, most archaeologists were like, oh, a well, rubbish, you know what I mean, it's all made up, it's nonsense, you know, and all this that, and the other. But I looked at the book and I thought, you know what, he's asking important questions. So I put this to Eric, I actually said to Eric, I said, uh, you know, as a growing up as an archaeologist, I said, your book was influential because it made us think outside the box, it made us ask questions, that otherwise would never have been asked. Anyway, he's quite a calm looking guy. And I'm sure I saw a smile break on his face. And he just looked at me and he said, There are two hundred and sixty-seven question
1: marks in that book. <laughs> so got it. Got yeah. it. You know, yeah. that's he, it.
2: That's that's from the man himself, you know.
1: Well, he's, he's used to being attacked. He's not used to people engaging him in conversation. So he's yeah. and I have noticed uh, on his interviews he's gotten a little bit Feistier, but I think it's because of the yeah. who's interviewing him and the, the lens and lens <laughs> yeah. they're coming at him at. But, uh, but yeah. on on a,
2: on a good day, you know what I mean. On a good day, he he was in the same zone that I was in, and that is, he wrote that book to make people think. Oh, yeah. You know, so again, back to this one, this book, this one's a book to make people think, to make you ask the questions. You know, if some guy comes back to me and says, "Well, you know, I think your book's a load of rubbish," but I achieved whatever i achieved x you know i went off and did these experiments with piezoelectricity because you talked about it in you know relation to silica or whatever and then they come back and they find a use for it then the book's done its job you know i don't have all the answers the book doesn't have all the answers that's a nice chapter at the end there's a nice rounding up chapter about aliens about alien visitation which is why i was at this this alien conference Uh, it doesn't mean the book's about aliens but philip got this philip Mantle, the publisher he caught wind of where i was going with it Mm -hmm. um in discussions of time and space at the end because obviously i bring all the threads together you know make something of it in the last chapter last chapter is actually called alien heads that's what it's called uh, about us in the future and what we were maybe in the distant past
1: it ties it up well i don't want to Um, skip to that just yet but i definitely don't want to skip that either i think right now might be a good time to give the listeners sort of an overview as to what now is the orthodox view of sort of the timeline of the origin man and and the basic hallmarks. And I know that's really impossible. So let me me give my very primitive understanding. And this is almost entirely based on a podcast I listened to about three weeks ago called Origins um and oh my god I can't remember, it was like chris cruiser or something like that but he, he's he's from he's like the british museum of archaeology so uh, i'm sure someone could figure out who, who it was anyway so basically around seven million years ago there was whatever became humans and whatever became chimpanzees uh had a common ancestor and we split so we are not evolved from chimpanzees but we do have a common ancestor and it's sort of hard to figure out exactly what's going on because chimpanzees also have evolved over those seven million years so let's put the chimpanzees and apes on the other side but they're you know but humans and ch- chimpanzees are our closest relatives as far as we know now then around seven million years ago i guess there was some type of homo species uh and in that you've got the australopithecus you've got the homo habilis you've got the and which at some point led to or, or homo erectus uh, and the timelines don't match because i know there's something new that they found homo naleda which is sort of like half monkey half man lived in trees but also walked upright but didn't live very long um and so so anyway but somewhere around two million years ago it was sort of like homo erectus and from there homo erectus sort of you know Went around, like uh, left Africa, probably uh, so, some either there's some discrepancy whether mitochondrial leave is in East Africa or West Africa, but there was one out of Africa migration. Some apparently came back. And then around 200,000 or 300,000 years ago, there was the second out of Africa migration. But around at some point, the neanderthals were already in europe the Denisovans were already in sort of eurasia um and now they're and and it seems like in in the the south pacific we had the the the, the, the homo florensis i think the homo luzerneas uh, sort of like different so sort of hobbit people and now they're finding there might be in china something called dragon man who might be an actual giant not 35 feet but maybe like 13 feet um, and but somewhere somewhere between half a million years ago and 200,000 years ago homo sapiens sort of turned into homo sapiens sapien um that is and basically modern man we haven't really changed very much since then uh but we all have some neanderthal dna in us we all we might have some denisovan who knows what else so that is my understanding of basically a seven million year timeline, starting at when roughly common ancestors are split into apes and what became humans. Correct that, okay. uh, enhance that, <laughs> or tell me what what the orthodoxy is if I you know, and how badly I butchered it.
2: No, no, no. I'm, I'm loving it. I'm absolutely loving it. Because what I was going to say is there are basically three camps. You know, the science overall breaks down into three camps. What you've done there is you've basically nailed camp number one. Okay. Okay. So if, if we call that camp number one, that'll save me having to go over it all again. But basically, uh, factually, in terms of chronology and uh, the way that put it together, that is the first camp. That is nice. the, the, the first view, which I'm going to say is evolutionary. That is the evolutionary, we have evolved camp, okay? The biggest error that's in that is that we are one chromosome away from a pig, Mm -hmm. but we are miles away from monkeys. So that kind of puts the spanner in the works, okay? Because if we evolved from anything, it would have been a pig. It would not have been a monkey. the other thing that puts the spanner in the works is- Is is that that why pigs aren't kosher?
1: <laughs> well, I'm kidding. I'm kidding because it uh, wouldn't explain maybe lobsters. That's why, maybe that's why in the Old Testament they said,
2: don't eat bacon, you know, because it's bordering on cannibalism. You know, the, the, like I say, these ancients knew a thing or two about a thing or two. So, maybe? yeah, there's, there's always a spread of truth in everything. But then, um, looking at camp number two, camp number two, their standpoint is everything that you've just said, but separated. So if you look at all of those different races and everything, they put them into pockets and they, they're they honest enough to say that, that there's no links. They can't fill in the gaps. So group number one is evolutionary. Group number two is, I suppose you'd call it, you know, shoot, it's a duck. It's factual. That's it. That's how it appears. That's all we've got. That's what we're working with. They are aware of the fact that the nearest thing to us is a pig. They're also aware that DNA doesn't change unless it's tampered with by an external force. So that rules out a lot of evolution. It just doesn't work, doesn't happen, doesn't go that way. Um, and the other thing as well is once you, the, the oldest human DNA that they can actually get for us is about 42, 43,000 BC, that's all. Everything before that, everything is guesswork because there's no DNA. All of them are stone fossils So what they tend to do is they look at the internal capacity of of the cranium and say how big was the brain, therefore what was it capable of? So if it's a tiny brain, it's a monkey. If it's a big brain, chances are it's a species of human. That's how they do it. But that's not factual. That is just a... A conservative estimate you know pity out them if they ever decided to crossbreed with a dolphin because that's got two tiny little brains that sit side by side but it can do things that no other creature on planet earth can do so in this case size really doesn't matter you know so it, it doesn't in real life in reality doesn't work so camp number one is evolutionary camp number two is kind of that's how it is now camp number three is is where people are going I think and this is where I'm leaning towards and that's the kind of uh, extinction camp if you like extinction and destruction can be a little depressing you've really got to sort of face it
1: well this show is and called Instinct. garden of doom so we're, we're okay with it so take <laughs> oh, take us to doom take us there oh, sir let's, go, let's,
2: <laughs> doom in the garden, then. let's do it let's go down the doom route that's right that's um, the
1: straightest line in garden of <laughs> doom the straightest of doom. path and straight to doom straight
2: to the doom here we go then okay well you've got You've got sort of four ice ages with three gaps, okay, where you have the thaw outs. What goes on when the ice is is around, nobody really has got a handle on what's happening to us. But we obviously survive. There are obviously extinctions. So there are winners and losers in those gaps. Mm -hmm. Somewhere in the middle of all of this, you've got a meteorite impact that's big enough to form the Gulf of Mexico. So it's an enormous impact. You're talking about nuclear winter. You're talking about fallout. You're talking about massive failure all around the planet. And that's known as the dinosaur killer. I think it's uh, 160,000 BC. I think it's something in that kind of order where this impact basically just removes species. They're They're gone. They're there before it, but they're not there after it. What's interesting as well is the United States Arctic Survey finished doing their deep radar on the Arctic and discovered that there's another crater even bigger underneath the Arctic. So that's two. That's two enormous impacts we've had. So looking at the sort of way things are going, if you like, in the third camp, if you if you can imagine, there are well, there's there's around probably about forty thousand different species that are known from the fossil record and things like that. Surviving on planet Earth now, there's probably about eighteen and a half, nineteen thousand species. So we've lost two thirds of whatever was here to start with. Now, if you look at that, if you can imagine that 36,000 dots on a board, and then somebody suddenly starts punching the dots out, you know, uh, meteorite up here, ice sheet here, you know, biological disaster here, you know, that lot suffers drought, that lot suffers flooding, you know what I mean? You're punching huge sections of what was once there out, leaving behind what we have now. That fits, that fits the facts, okay? So once upon a time, there might have been a bloke and another bloke that looked a bit like a monkey and then another bloke that actually was a monkey and then so on and so on. All these distinct species might have had overlaps, if you like, or apparent overlaps, but the overlaps are gone. They're extinct. They're not there. They've disappeared. They've vanished.
1: 19,000 so species of what? Uh, are we talking about uh, primates everything. and semi or yeah. Everything. Even like insects and fish?
2: Yeah, insects, microbes, fish, you name it. I mean, there's. uh, I'm trying to think back now to uh, the Triassic. You look at what was floating around in the ocean in the Triassic period, and you've got trilobites and you've got nautilus and you've got all sorts of things going on. And all of a sudden, wham, the lot's gone. You know, there's nothing left at all. It's gone. It's a massive extinction event. So once upon a time, we had 100% of everything. And now we've probably only got about 25% left with a 75% extinction rate over an enormous length of time. Now, when you look at it in those terms, the camp number one with its evolutionary rhetoric kind of goes into dustbin because it doesn't actually match with modern day science. Camp number two, they're doing some really good work because they're actually out there digging this stuff up. Mm -hmm. They're looking for the facts. They're trying to find the physical remains. Camp number three are taking that evidence and they're pushing it in a factual direction. They're saying this is actually what we're seeing happening. You know, pandas are dying out, rhinos are dying out, you know, bears are dying out, you name it. We're seeing that extinction process still going on today. You know, if there was a decent sized meteorite impact in Africa, goodness knows how many species we'd lose, you know, bang, they're gone. Same up in the North Pole, you know, bang and they're all gone. That seems to be the way of the world. That is the way of things happening. Which actually does lead us to my last chapter. So it's up to you if you want to go into the last chapter.
1: Oh, I do, but not, not to say I want to see if I understand camp number two because actually I think I've been talking to a gentleman. We've had trouble scheduling the show. He's, he's had issues, technological, health, whatever, but hopefully he'll be on. I don't, well, I'll say his name because I mean, it's not a secret. His name's Alan Van Arsdale, and I, and I think he probably falls into camp number two. I'm not 100% sure yet because we haven't talked at length. He sends me stuff at length, but I, I I'm not. I, I don't know exactly what I'm reading, but I, you know, I think it's Camp Number Two. But to try and dumb it down, Camp Number Two is basically if you just substitute humans for felines, it, it's the reason why jaguars have spots, ocelots have spots, cheetahs have spots, leopards have spots, uh, jaguarinis have spots. But nobody spends a lot of time wondering. Why there are all these cats have spots? There's there are spots, they're cats, but they're they're not necessarily all that closely related to each other. They just exist. We have panthers, we have black panthers, we have lions, we have tigers. It just is. But for whatever reason, when it comes to humans, we we have this, you know, we, we, we have this wall in our head that we can say, yeah. hey, there were the Neanderthals, there were these, there were this, there were that, and they just emerged, which, you know, of course, the question is always like, well, how they emerged? We were made in God's image. Well, which God? You know, because there's now there's you know 47 different human species or whatever the, the <laughs> ultimate number will be. Um, you know, is it?
2: You're, in, you're into the last chapter of the book now, but uh, go on, carry
1: yeah. on. <laughs> uh, well, I'm sure panspermia fits into it, and panspermia has got the different camps. There's the one that says, yeah, hey, yeah. comets and whatever, you know, just put the basic, you know final seeds into the primordial ooze to make it happen and then you have the sort of like uh, i'm sure you're f- familiar with bruce fenton who's been on this show he's going to come on again and and he has he has like sort of like basically different different epochs of pan which you know is sort of almost it it, it cuts into intelligent design it's just whose design you know is it, yeah. is the question yeah. i i at this point I, i'm so like it doesn't it doesn't even really matter whose it is because you can never sell the question whether it was, you know, something divine or something alien, because if you decide on something alien, well, who created them? If you decide on God, who created that? At some point, yeah, it's the same yeah. thing. Some questions don't get answered. So, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm not I'm not trying to spend my days on that one, um, though I'm open to, to people who are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, so... That's so, but did I do, with the spotted cats, did, did I do an okay job of sort of analogizing it to camp number two on humans?
2: Yes, yes. Camp number one, I think, takes the evidence and takes the theories too far, and they're, they're old-fashioned and they're out of date, really. That's that in a nutshell. Camp two is looking at the evidence, okay? So yes, absolutely. And they are open-minded enough now, or becoming open-minded enough, to ask questions as to why you Know why Neanderthals, why giants, why pygmies? You know, why are things the way they are? Which is breaking out of that Victorian prejudice, you know, that says the entire of the world's population should all be the same, right? You know, which caused the empire building and us to go out and wipe out tribes, and you know, those better humans and subhumans, and yeah. oh, all and all it's lovely Victorian too, isn't it, it, all, it explains
1: all. so much yes you yeah. got, you have the little people and they existed yeah. so okay yeah. gnomes dwarves leprechauns whatever settle yeah. you have the ones it's who it's are it's taller and be- you know more beautiful there's yeah. your elves you've got the the well. neanderthals or australopithecus you've got your tr- yeah. ogres you've got your giants you know whatever yeah, there, they there they were yeah, they they, they, they lived they 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 lived with us I mean I don't know if it's that convenient or not but you know certainly oral histories which is what all history was until. About 5,000 yeah. years ago, 6,000 years ago, maybe. I mean, you know, you, you pass things down. And, you know, just like the game of Operator we played in first grade, sometimes the stories get changed from kid number one to kid number 24 and they tend yeah. to get bigger, which, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that either. Well, there
2: is, there is a sinister twist in camp number two. Oh, I like that. Because our archaeologists have noticed and, they, and DNA analysts and environmentalists have noticed whenever... Homo sapiens sapiens turns up in an area, whatever else is there tends to get wiped out. It tends to go extinct. And that's not just us fighting other human species and wiping them out, Mm -hmm. which we clearly did. It's other things as well. The flora and the fauna and the place where we live, we start to really exhaust the resources and use it up. So as, as a race, the reason we're here is not because we're clever. It's because we're just better at using all the resources we can get our hands on and fighting off the competition so we're, we're not here because of intelligence we're here because of survival of the fittest and that's how it appears and i don't see that as being a good thing so
1: because, in the movie know, prometheus we're the xenomorphs yeah. we are not the architects we, yes, we could we absolutely. come in we're, yeah. okay so we, we we're, we're basically the churn and burn so there's all this yeah, that,
2: that's, sustainability yeah, that's that idea comes from. yeah
1: so sustainability yeah. is is at the core is not in our nature
2: No, it's not. No, it's conquer, you know, divide and conquer, Uh, you know, use whatever we can. Treat the whole thing as if we're, you know, top of the food chain, we rule the world sort of thing, which hasn't really got us where we want to be. That's the sort of positive side of the green agenda, if you like, Mm -hmm. is the fact that people are actually saying, you know, come on, chaps, enough is enough. You know, 250, 300 years of industrial revolution, we've done enough damage. We need to stop it and start working with the planet, not against it. Which, again, that's something in the last chapter that I'm dealing with, in the last chapter of the book, because, again, you know, in terms of extinction and where we're going, uh, are we next? You know, that's, you've got to ask that question.
1: Well, having, sure. I mean, the. the having, at at the yeah. at the root of whether this is part of the green movement or just sort of some reality, at at, at the root of it you have to sort of figure out what's gonna to happen to the seven point eight billion people who don't who, who who don't live this. Apparently it's something like two hundred million people is, is like the maximum that can keep the earth sustainable. so some I, I don't know where these models or who wrote these programs yeah. or whatever it is, but whatever it is, let's assume they're off by uh, a scale of ten, you you still have about between five and six billion people that you have to sort of figure out how to get rid of them, and then who's getting rid of who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, that, well, that's that's,
2: that's typical Homo sapien thinking because right. it's like, okay, it's it's easier just to wipe it all out than it is to work it
1: all out. You know, um, at least Thanos was to, random.
2: Well, going back to the guys with the big heads, you know, I, I think they went quietly into the night. I just think they thought, right, that's our time. We've had our time you know we don't really want to deal with these jokers that are coming up now let's so let's bow out let's bow out before it goes crazy uh, and that's kind of where i'm at in the last chapter of the book because, okay let's um,
1: let's go I there okay I'll,
2: I'll, I'll let's go there let's go there uh aliens you've got all these people appearing now these creatures appearing and I, i've got this thing about um star trek aliens and you know they're, they're all the same they have a head and two arms and two hands and two legs and and the reason for that is in Star Trek they didn't have the budget to do anything more than that so aliens always end up looking like humans Well, the same thing seems to be true with the aliens we've got, it doesn't matter if they're greys or lizards or whatever the hell they are they're nearly always the same size and shape as us, all very similar so I got to thinking about this and I thought there's got to be a solution to what's going on, are they you know, us from the future coming back are they from another planet trying to come into our planet Or are we a sealed environment? You know, do we operate according to entropy and that's it? Nothing can get in. Or have they cracked time and space and possibly are they from the past? You know. And I, I got to thinking about that and I thought, okay, if you could travel in time and space, the most interesting thing that you could go and have a look at without doing any damage would be where things end up. Because if you drop in at any point on the timeline, you're going to cause a paradox. You're going to screw it up, basically. So you can't interfere with that. That's going to ruin it. But if you wanted to do something that wasn't going to hurt you, wasn't going to change anything, but could actually be an interesting exercise, you would go to the end. You'd go to the end and go and have a look and see where things end up. So that kind of made sense to me. So I thought, well... If you've got all this technology and all these ancient races and you know all this sort of thing going on and it was like goodness knows what you know super super version of atlantis back in the day and they managed to put all the time and effort into cracking time and space because if they've had more time than we've had to look at those kind of issues then if they could try and travel they would come to the end now that neatly explains the fact that they they still look like us and behave like us they can interact with us They'd be interested, though, in testing us and possibly cattle and a few other types of animals, you know, to see where we've ended up and what's going on, and abduct people, you know, in order to have a look at them and then put them back. And I'm thinking, oh, this suddenly makes sense. You know, this just seems to fit. You know, this is what we're actually seeing now. Um, So that's kind of where I ended up going. That's where the last chapter goes. I think we're at a phase in the planet's... Uh, devolvement, if you like, where it's cru- crucial, it's critical, and they want to come and see what's going on. So they're paying attention to things like nuclear, you know, nuclear bunkers, nuclear missiles, things like that, because it is a threat to the planet, you know, and uh, they're interfering, if you like, they're poking their nose in now, because now is a really, really important time. And, and some of these guys, these grey guys, have got the big heads. They've got the enormous heads, you know, they they must be in many ways super intelligent, in many ways different from us. Um, But at the same time, because they're a tiny, weeny bit similar to us, which they are, um, then there's every possibility that, that they are us. They are actually us. They could be one of these extinct species that are extinct now, but obviously once upon a time in the past they weren't that's that's kind of where that last chapter ends up and again it's it says the end of the world when it says the end of the world it means the end of whatever world we're living oh, in now this age so, of man know, so to speak yeah this age of man it doesn't mean we're going to go Pfft, and that's it you know there's not going to be any of us anymore it doesn't it's not like that so um yeah that's kind of where the conclusion ends That the actual fact we need to sort of respect what we've got work with what we've got and um, ultimately uh you know move through if you like to whatever that next phase is um, that's kind of where it ends. So it actually ends on a positive note. You know, it's not the end of the world like a big banging out of space. It kind of it ends on a positive. The, uh, that's the, where
1: that goes. the aliens are us, so us will survive because us will be here at the end and we'll build uh, back better and and back to a, <laughs> uh, a more balanced state of nature. But after yeah. all of the messy stuff has has played its core played out.
2: Basically, that's the gist of it. But also, it does raise this question of, well, if there's some form of an end, there must have been some form of a beginning. And as far as the confines of the book can go, I think you get back to this point where there's 100% of everything on planet Earth and it's all in the right environment, it's all functioning exactly as it should be, all the species are exactly where they should be, you know, there's no subdivisions or crossovers or half-breeds or, you know, everything's been genetically and mathematically engineered to fit where it is. That's the point then where, in essence, the scope of the book stops, because as you rightly say, you're then off into what I can only describe as divine speculation. You know you're into the well how did we suddenly appear from nowhere complete you know up and running everything functioning it does definitely speak to somebody or something putting us here in a complete state you know um but a lot of the a lot of the legends. I and mean, you mentioned legends. You know, people sort of oral tradition and passing things down, and et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't matter what religious belief you are, what path you're following, whatever. There is this distinct idea running really in the background that the earth goes through phases. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, you have a phase where it's everything and then it kind of evolves down to nothing and then, wham, and then everything comes back again and then the same thing happens all over again and it just tumbles, you know, you get these things happening again and again and again. So uh, maybe if we survive through to a new world, maybe we'll see some of these things coming back by whatever means they were put here in the, you know, in the first place. Um, I'd, I'd like to see that. Imagine that waking up in the morning and there's a... You know, Brachiosaurus wandering past your front door or you know, you can go and sit down with these guys with the big heads and have a conversation. So, so how is it for you? You know?
1: Yeah, well it's no accident they're still making Jurassic Park movies and uh, and, oh, no, and, and yeah, sci fi yeah. movies as well. But oh, yeah absolutely yeah it's 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 all very fascinating i always like to joke that uh, well we already have we've already hit our perfect people we've created the rock and and jennifer lopez i mean obviously if they, <laughs> if, if that if they're not adam and eve i don't i don't know what is <laughs> <laughs> you know but, uh, yeah, dearie, <laughs> that's uh that's right now, so i said so i don't know when you go back to who who's the you know who's uh who's the perfect adam and eve you know i'm sure everyone's got a different idea of what the perfect adam and eve would be but uh, uh, yeah well
2: depending on whether you believe they were created or not of course they would not have had a belly button because they were made from the the soil
1: of the ground so that's true
2: They've just been there as complete? So yeah, unless it, just, it was just sort of a uh, you know sort of
1: like a roadmap to you know to, to distinguish uh, features. But you're right, yeah, it would it, yeah. it wouldn't be particularly useful. But I mean, like yeah, lots of myths have things that were created from sand or dust. Whether it's yeah. it's the yeah. Gollum of, of Prague or or whether it's the, the Norse myth or well, my friend Neki yeah. do again, uh, yeah, yeah, or Adam and Eve and and plenty of uh, stories, religions, folklore's have are waiting for a coming, Tecumseh, uh, uh, yes. Quetzalcoatl was supposed to come back, of course, Jesus or, or a absolutely. messiah, you know, you yeah, know. yeah,
2: absolutely, uh, you know, again and again and again, you, because you've got the same motifs coming over and over again, that in literature is the same as what we find in archaeology, you know, there's pyramids on every continent, you know, guys with stretched heads on every continent. The, the mythology is the same because that's the written culture, that's the literature with the same motifs, with the same legends, you know, uh, copper technologies all over the planet, iron technologies all over the planet. The list just goes on and on and on. So your science, your astronomy, your astrology, your religious side of it, your architecture, your beliefs, it's the same so as soon as i mean this is something the internet's done you know it's our generation it's the time we're living in we're actually looking now at something bigger than the library was at alexandria you know all the data that's on the face of planet earth put together is actually telling us that we're not the first people to have all that data available you know there it is you know i've gone and said it now as an archaeologist there it is all these commonalities are the foundation of where we've ended up. That's it, you know, this is not the first time. So a lot of what we've discovered in inverted commas, we've, we've actually rediscovered. You know, we're not finding it new, we're just finding something that perhaps he already had in the past, you know. Back to Eric Von Dadek and his, you know, Baghdad battery and his Egyptian light bulbs, and, you know, the Saqqara glider that flies, and. You know, all this sort of thing. I mean, Egypt was a super super race with super technology with these guys with enormous stretched heads. You know, Akhenaten and his family had them. So they had all this super intelligence available to them. Goodness, only knows what they knew about. You know, they knew about how to make daggers out of meteorites and, you know, vases out of aluminium and you name it. There's there's stuff out there that's mind-blowing. In most cases, they take a look at whatever it is they've invented and they just don't know what to do with it. Or well, they look at it and they think we don't want to mess with that because it's too dangerous, you know. Uh, there's nuclear blast sites in India and things like that where, quite obviously, some guys been mucking about with something in his garden shed and it's gone bang <laughs> and it's you know, baked an entire village to glass. And then people are gone. Well, yeah, we're not doing that again. Well, yeah. Trying to <laughs> you know, avoid that. Idea.
1: Yeah, because trial, trial and error. That, that, that's a big yeah, one. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, which again
2: is a back to evolution again you know if you're a woodpecker you don't get a chance for trial and error you either wrap your tongue around your brain or you die on the first impact you know it, it, that's what i mean some of these theories that the science have come out with to you know denote how we got here just don't work there has to be some form of you know intelligent structure and thought that's gone into these things going into its environment so yeah interesting stuff
1: it sure is. It's it, it's amazing. It's it's fascinating. I, I still want somebody to find out the Australopithecus robustus or something that that's that that, that is the giant or is the Bigfoot or maybe both, uh. You know, but uh, you know, it's not particularly important. Just just because I want it. Uh, this has been.
2: I think it, it it's coming.
1: It's okay. coming. Oh, I think you live to see the day. I really genuinely do. I hope so. <laughs> I you know, I, I sure hope so. I, I it'd be a, a ton of fun and it'd be great to uh, find it while I'm still doing this show as well. But well I, well,
2: well let me tell you a story. I mean this sure. is going slightly off topic, but I'll it's tell okay. you a story. Um, I was I was at this uh, I was at an expo and I was chatting to a, a couple of guys that are into ufology and but they're also into bigfoot they're into a lot of other things like that. And I was chatting to this American guy and I was saying um I was watching Blaze the other day you know the UK channel that has all these things on and there was this guy who had a cabin in the woods and he took some like boards off the door he boarded up the door and he left them on the patio and something came shuffling around in the night and trod on one of the screws or the nails that was sticking up had left fur and blood behind. Anyway, fast forward to the days of DNA. He'd kept the board with these spikes on with the fur and the blood on. So it's like, fantastic, we can get some DNA off this. Anyway, the good news is, yes, they did that. They went off and, and they analyzed it. And when it came back, it was not entirely human DNA. There was something distinctly wrong with this. Anyway, I'm telling the story to this guy and this guy sort of leaned forward and he went, yes, that was my cabin. <laughs> said, I was the bloke that kept the board with those spikes on. So I just, I had a chat with him and he's like, yeah, yeah, we're starting to get physical evidence now that these, these creatures are out there in the woods. They're leaving fur, they're leaving so, blood, they're leaving skin. So it wasn't a bear. Else. It was, it was, most, it no, was no, most human-ish. Was a human-ish, yeah, human-ish. It appears to be a variety of well, so you're probably closer than you think when you say prehistoric surviving Australopithecus or something very similar. Uh, But yeah,
1: the more we expand, just like when there's more interactions now with pumas and sharks and deer and raccoons, Mm -hmm. that at some point we're going to encroach on, you know, uh, so much into someone else's territory that it's going to be inevitable. Uh, That is, uh, unless we. Destroy ourselves. Uh, well, I'll, you know. I'll, I'll I'll I'll
2: share one last weird story. That's a bit sure. off Of the uh, about going into other environments. Well, I love any story um,
1: about true story about the you know cryptid confirmed.
2: Oh, you love this. Uh, I don't know if it's still on the internet. Please, anybody, go and search for it and try and find it. But it, it was there up to a few years ago. Uh, some guys were working on a, a cable, one of these deep sea cables. And it was down at the bottom of the Mariana Trench, which is about three and a half miles deep. It's as far down as you can go. And what they'd done is they'd got one of these mini subs, you know, with arms on the front and, and a camera, and they'd gone down to fix the cable. So they go down to fix this cable. And on the internet was this footage, and it showed you this blur going past the camera. Uh, and then they slowed it down. Now, what's interesting is they timed this thing as it went past the camera at full speed. And it's going past the camera for absolutely ages and then there's a flash as it goes past at the very end and they're like well that's got to be I don't know 50, 60, 70, 80 90, 100 feet long who knows what and then somebody spotted that they could freeze frame the last frame the last frame going through the entire frame is an eye
1: oh my goodness
2: it's it's, it's, it's a squid's eye basically so what they had done was, they've done exactly what you described, they've gone into an environment where they weren't particularly welcome, they were going along the bottom and they'd obviously disturbed one of these giant Kraken type squiddy things, it had took off like a shot, well, as much as something that big can, it had gone past the camera, obviously leaving the scene, and the last bit that went flashing past was a huge eye, and that was actually on the internet. I and mean, I don't know what, how you find it—giant squid or kraken or you know squid's eye or whatever. But but again, another
1: one of these totally accidental things. I, I've you know. seen that. I, I, I've seen it. Yeah. But what would make that better, you know, for my story, if I was to write a book or do a movie and i am not capable of doing either, at least not well—would um, be that then all of a sudden the, the crew starts turning on each other and killing each other. And it turns out that it was Cthulhu. So I mean that. that
2: <laughs> <laughs> <happened>. <laughs> Uh, now you really are going into the
1: Garden of Doom. <laughs> well, we, 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 we've never left. As as we've established, we're, we're heading towards <laughs> extinction. It's, it's, you know, the dinosaur, the Tyrannosaurus Rex didn't know it was dead for six minutes. So, you well, know, go. there you go. I have a
2: destruction.
1: Isn't that a happy little metaphor? It is. It is <laughs> Sure. <laughs> uh, if, if you believe Ultron was right. I, <laughs> I, I say <laughs> that way too much, Ultron was right. Ultron was right about everyone else except for people out. That's, that's <laughs> so yeah that, that's, that's probably an extremely uh, selfish and very human uh, 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 idea uh, now, that, now that I come to think about it so I'm, I'm going to stop thinking about it. Um, where can they support you and and the name of the book and where they can find it are there other books do you have any other shows a YouTube channel yeah. stuff like that yeah um, okay I'll try and keep this
2: as simple as possible if you want to get product if you actually want to get hold of anything by me just go to Amazon you know what I mean? Click and collect. Swipe, and it'll come through your door three days later. Dead easy. I just get paid the royalties. I don't have to hold any stock. Brilliant. So go and go go to Amazon. Have a look at the Mark Ollie, M-A-R-K-O-L-L-Y. There'll be about seven books in all. There'll be three in a series that I wrote in the nineties called Celtic Warrior and Other Mysteries. The ones you want to try and get a hold of, are the more recent ones, is one on the Disappearing Ninth Legion, one on the Life and Times of Robin Hood, one on the Green Man, Revealing the Green Man. And one which is, and I have it in front of me here, Crystal Skulls and Human Heads, The Mystical History of Glass and the Extinction of the World. So that's the latest one to come out. Um, If you want to partner with it, the Green Man book, I'd recommend Revealing the Green Man. Those two books go together quite well. Um, So there are four books out there. Go and find them. Do a search for DVDs. You'll probably find DVDs as well. There's quite a few I've released over the years, especially one on Robin Hood. But they're they're all on Amazon okay you can have them in hardback you can have them in audio whatever Uh, if you want to come and find me um, I'm on Facebook so if you do a Facebook search come and friend me talk to me on messenger Uh, you know come and see what I'm up to because I use it like a mini website there's all kinds of adverts and stuff going up on there Um, or just do a general search because there's quite a lot out there on YouTube there's interviews there's snippets of things I've done in the past tons of photographs you'll you'll find me out there which is the curse of having done television in the past so you'll find that um so really that's it it's you know facebook if you want to come and talk to me and it's amazon if you want to buy the goods um and that would be very supportive if you would
1: i'm I'm definitely going to take you up on the facebook thing and you 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 may or may not regret it who knows and uh, hopefully you'll <laughs> come back and we can talk about uh, The Green Man and oh. The Life and Times of Robin Hood. I've had Andrew Goffon, who spent some time on The Green Man as well. But his version of The Green Man isn't necessarily the same as your version of The Green Man. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that would be very interesting. And we can uh, talk about your other works as well. And maybe uh, yeah. maybe there's some connective tissue there as well. But, yeah, this was tons of fun. Uh, and so, everyone, it's Mark Ollie, Olly, O-L-L-Y. Definitely check out his stuff. Buy his books. Read his books. Is anything on Audible for us lazy folk?
2: Uh, oh yes, there will be. Uh, quite a few of the Amazon ones have been converted into Audible, especially the new one. Obviously, the new one. That's, uh, that's on Audible. That's You've got fantastic. Soft um, Kindle. I know, can't tell you how fantastic
1: that is for maybe uh, you know. I probably have two credits on Audible. I haven't <laughs> used anything, so now I can support you and and hear the book because, yeah, because it's very it's difficult true. for me to actually find time and energy to the two. Together to sit down and read, which is a real shame. But one of the great things I've done is create this show so that I can learn from people who know more than me, and 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 that's terrific. But Audible is wonderful. I'm I'm glad to hear that it's on Audible. But you know, folks, buy stuff on Audible. Buy the hard books. Hopefully, you're not lazy like me, and you can still read because you should. It's it's good for your brain. Um, and uh, and hopefully you don't have yourself involved in as many silly projects, not silly, but as many projects as I did to take a lot of time that uh, don't allow you to uh, read or at least give you the excuse. So read, everybody read. It's good for you. It's fundamental, just like the, the commercial said in the, in the 70s. Um, with that wonderful song by Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, uh, Wake Up. So, everybody, so everyone wake up. Do you have a preference on an outro song? I was thinking about the crystal ships by the doors, but that doesn't really fit the crystal skulls just because it's crystal. That's such a depressing song also.
0: Um,
2: Do you know what? I've never been asked that question before ever. I'm an enormous fan of Led Zeppelin, so I don't know if you'll get away with uh, playing perhaps. Oh,
1: yeah, I don't know.
2: Stairway to Heaven, maybe. Why not? Maybe. Really?
1: Stairway to Heaven, huh? So long. Why though. not? I need like a three minute song.
2: You want a three minute song? Oh, gosh. Uh, wow. I don't know, you see, what, what happens at this point is my head explodes because I used to be a DJ years ago, so oh. I'm kind of, a, <laughs> you know I'm, what I mean? It's like,
1: where do I start? I, I'm thinking maybe <laughs> like something from uh, the guests who maybe share the land or No Sugar Tonight. I, I'm thinking, that, I don't know why, but those feel about right. Yeah,
2: okay, yeah, yeah, that would be good out. Yeah, we could go out, out with those. Which, yeah. which yeah. one,
1: which one do you prefer?
2: Um, no Sugar I Tonight's
1: catchier, it. but Share the Land probably fits more. Yeah, that one. Share one, the land. Share. Sold. Share the land. So, there you go. Mr. Ali, Don't. it was a pleasure. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to uh, friend you on Facebook and, uh, and then we'll try to set you up for future shows. Maybe the next, uh, yeah, you know, uh, please do. early next year or later in the fall. And yeah. we'll two shows. So. Yeah. All right. Very good. Excellent. I appreciate right, your excellent. time. Good luck with everything. And we'll, we'll be in touch. And for all of Thank you, you. out there, support the stuff, like we said, support the show, share it with your friends. Give us five stars, uh, write a review, uh, we very much benefit from referrals because this is sort of a, a a weird show. We cover a panoply of things in the garden of doom and so the audience has to trust me and and since most of them don't most people out there don't know me, they know you, and so hopefully they trust you and so so get the word out and uh uh you know not to not to deride any other podcast, but I'm saying time is precious. And you could probably substitute this podcast for probably a good dozen or 15 others and eventually get to everything you want. So uh, if someone's looking to save some time and be efficient, come on into the Garden of Doom and Garden Views is just a bonus there. So thanks to all, and we will hear you next week in the Garden of Doom, and you're going to enjoy Have some guests Who round? coming up soon. Have you done
0: your share of coming down on different things at being? Have you been aware You got brothers and sisters who care About what's gonna happen to you In a year from now Maybe I'll be there to shake your hand Maybe I'll be there to share the land That they'll be giving away When we all live together I'm talking about together now Maybe I'll be there to shake your hand Maybe I'll be there to share the land That they'll be giving away talk about together now. Did you pay your dues? Did you read the news this morning when the paper landed in your yard? Without losing track and coming down a bit too hard Oh, maybe I'll be there to shake your hand Maybe I'll be there to share the land That they'd be giving away when we all live together We're talking about together now Maybe I'll be there to shake your hand Maybe I'll be there to share the land That they'd be giving away when we all live talking about together now. Talking about together.